I'm Rick Ralph and thanks for joining me, talking garbology, waste and recycling unwrapped. As an industry professional with more than 40 years experience, both internationally and in Australia, my podcast series provides listeners an insight to and conversations with a number of key industry leaders, subject professionals, knowledge experts on a wide range of topics waste and recycling related. Wherever you may be listening, I trust you find my program informative as we explore and unbundle the complex yet interesting subjects of waste management, secondary resource recovery, recycling, and all their endeavours. This podcast is brought to you by the Waste Recycling Industry of Queensland, RIQ. The organisation is Queensland's peak body, representing international, national and family-based businesses, employing more than 6,500 Queenslanders working in the sanitation, waste, recycling and related sectors. RIQ represents all aspects of the state's waste and resource recovery network, including major landfills, transfer stations, material recycling facilities, remanufacturing and collections. In today's podcast, I'm talking with Mark Smith. Mark is the uh, Chief Executive Officer with the Waste Recycling Industry Association of Queensland, the peak body that represents the international, national and family-based waste and recycling businesses. Mark, welcome to the podcast. And uh, before we start, who is Mark Smith? And more importantly, who is Raikyu? Um, Mark Smith is a uh, passionate, uh, dedicated individual who's been uh, working in the space of waste and resource recovery now for uh, over 10 years um, with a background in uh, environmental regulation with a focus on waste crime, waste education and behaviour change. Um, And over the last few years, heading up industry associations in Victoria um, and recently taken over the role as CEO of RICU. Mark, um, I noticed uh, we've got a state election in Queensland coming up and uh, obviously all industry bodies put out their manifesto or their platforms or their projects and their priorities. Um, what is this manifesto and why is it so important to the association and your members? The manifesto, I suppose, is one way to look at it is it's, it's, it's industry's priorities coming into the election, the ask that we're, that we're putting forward to the government uh, around ideas, because that's ultimately what elections are about, a, a discussion, a conversation around ideas, ideas around how we can make Queensland an attractive place for investment, uh, grow the sector to meet Queensland's challenges uh, for the future, which uh, by all accounts looks like it's going to be a booming population post-COVID and about making sure that we're doing that in a safe and sustainable way. You recently had an article in the Waste Management uh, Review magazine where you quote, um, our function is to service Australian households and businesses, managing the environmental impacts of our economy and upskill, train and employ Australians in the process. We do a lot more than just recycling and sorting at MRFs and those parts of facilities. And I guess the opportunity with this manifesto is to sort of expand and elaborate on those priorities back into government so they see your members in the organisation greater than just collecting and flicking bins and t- take it to either recycling facility or landfill. Would that be pretty well on the money? Yeah, I think a conversation that we need to be having, not just with the government but with other businesses and the public, is really making sure that people recognise the fact that we are a service-based 
sector that's delivering services to every aspect of the economy. Um, every Australian interacts with the waste and resource recovery sector in some capacity and we're vital to Australia's continued success and we're closely linked to economic growth. Yes, I noticed that uh, within these th- these four platforms that uh, the association is actually advocating, it really covers that broader suite of regulation, market certainty, social licence um, and uh the innovation and the smarts of the system. Uh, perhaps what we should do is look at the, each of the four priorities and then touch upon each of the areas. Uh, the very first priority, um, what is your, you making Queensland the place to invest? Um, I don't think there's anyone going to go against uh, that sort of platform, but what does that mean? Sure. So over the last few years, we've seen um, a substantial amount of investment Um, from the private sector, but also from government um, into building new infrastructure, building new assets. But that's only looking at part of the investment equation. The other things that are really going to drive and attract, um, in particular, private equity into the sector is making sure that all the other things are are in place around what makes the sector attractive, and that includes effective regulation. This doesn't necessarily mean cutting red tape or it doesn't necessarily mean creating new red tape, but it does relate to a change in how the government decides to regulate and how the regulator decides to work with business. Um, and that's something that we're really strong on, the the culture change that needs to happen. Uh, it's less about um, the rules than more about the interpretation of those rules that we're really looking to Kind of the culture, address. you talk about the culture there, is that the culture of how the industry is regulated or is it the culture of the regulator itself or is it culture of the industry? I think it's probably all three. Um, this isn't something that's just um, on government to fix. I'm sure that there's steps that businesses need to take as well. But I think one way to really start having these conversations around regulation is um, where do we want the sector to be in five or ten years? Um do we want to be in a situation where we're constantly issuing or having a culture of issuing notices and fines? Or do you want to build up capacity and capability of businesses to be able to manage risks and issues themselves? And I guess that then cascades into this ability for industry. We hear the NIMBY, not in my backyard syndrome, and particularly with waste and recycling, it's it, it's a challenge. Um, people don't understand that that red bin that they get flicked uh, once a week or the recycling bin that goes to the recycling facility has to go somewhere. Um, I noticed one of the actions under that making Queensland the place to invest is social licence to position and to locate. What do you mean by that? I think an old school approach of social licence was one where government would often push responsibility around being a good neighbour Um, and community engagement um, onto just an individual site. But what we know about social licence, and the mining sector has done this really well, is that there is a shared responsibility that kind of kicks in when we talk about social licence to operate. And what social licence includes is this idea that the public have confidence and trust in our industry and a really key component for our industry to build that trust is confidence in the regulator and confidence in the government processes around our sector. 
So they're interrelated. Obviously, the regulatory framework, because people don't understand, the industry is very heavily regulated, or the or the licensed sector is. It's just some of the inequity in that regulation. And if you get that right, then you get the social license confidence of the community to come along with that. Yeah. So I suppose one way to look at it is um, strong regulation needs to be backed up with strong, credible presence and enforcement activity so uh, it doesn't work if you've got heaps of rules but then there's people flouting those rules or laws and action isn't taken and i suppose the the third element to that is the market certainty um the fact that you need we've i guess uh, we've all seen all the negative around uh, the exports and the the china scenario etc what we're trying to do here is get greater market certainty for the industry to actually have its footprint to go forward Yeah, so the role of uh, regulation or intervention by government um, is is, is some of what I suppose we're we're talking to in relation to market certainty. Um, I think regulators today need a more contemporary skill set. They're not just protecting the environment, they're also regulating a commercial market. And it's really important for government to understand what is going to incentivise and um, erode business confidence in Mm. the sector and the Waste Management Review article that you, that you were referring to earlier is really looking at exploring the idea of intervention by government and what might be um, other things that government can be doing other than just investing in infrastructure. What role does government maybe have around creating market certainty around uh, the supply of material or buying um, kind of certainty? Um, so government kind of has a really strong role in procurement, for example, and that's something that can be turned on relatively easily. Your priority, uh, um, and it's important we, we see that in that this platform because you, uh, priority number two is creating a safe, smart and sustainable sector. Safety, um, it's not just also about uh, following the road rules or following workplace health and safety. There's a, a greater onus there in safety, isn't there? Yeah, so we're seeing changes to population. We're seeing changes to consumption in terms of what people are consuming and what people are throwing out. And we're also seeing changes to community expectations and the industry has to respond to that. I think sometimes people forget that our sector is basically managing the consumption um, impacts of the economy and that inherently has some risks wrapped up in it. And not all those risks are always um, easy to, to to manage. And these priorities under this section of the manifesto are really acknowledging that the sector is in a state of transition and we want to meet kind of those challenges head on, but we need some support by government. So it's about the smarts, the safety and the sustainability of the industry to ensure that, I guess, the standards are there You've got the registrations are there so everyone can see transparently who is actually actually operating in the world. You can see what the businesses are doing and that what the businesses are taking some accountability. I mean, we, we see so much debate about waste management, but we forget about the generators a lot of the time. It starts at the front end, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, well, that goes to that point of the, the fact that our sector exists to basically manage the some of those environmental impacts for other parts of the economy. Um Looking at the horizon, we need to start thinking more about what's happening with those waste patterns. Those, the, the, where are the opportunities for greatest impact? Um, and we've identified organics as being one of those priority areas. You know, and I, I guess it's we should explore that for a minute. The circular economy 
scenario where it closed that loop rather than linear, where it just goes out the end of the pipe. Um, you have identified organics as a priority on the sustainability, and I guess that that feeds back then into the agricultural sector. It feeds back into the food production. It feeds back then into uh, uh, better management of the environment. So this is that circular component. Why why organics as a particular um, uh, issue as opposed bricks or concrete or, or timber? The reason why uh, organics have been singled out is for a few reasons. Australia prides itself on the food that we produce. Um, a lot of it is produced locally, which means we have a lot more control on the supply chains in a Australian supply chain context. You can't always um, implement some of the um, ambitious goals around packaging when products are being made in other jurisdictions and in other markets. The other benefit with the um, tackling organics is that we know that organics is the biggest um, component of the municipal waste stream. So by tackling organics, you're indirectly tackling the packaging that that organics comes in, which means that you're tackling plastics, you're tackling the other materials that are involved in how food is presented to us. I, I guess that makes sense there in, in that process. So you're actually, what you're doing, it's not just about organics itself, it's about all the additional and the add-ons that actually come through in that process yeah. for that thing. Your priority number three, um, creating the jobs, I mean, you've got the right uh, nuances in there from a polit- with an election coming up, politicians, is all about jobs, jobs, jobs. I'm not quite, I've, I'm yet to see government actually creating a job. I thought they might provide the environment for creating jobs, but the, effectively business creates, in my view, jobs. Would that be a fair uh, reason on that? Yeah, that is a, a, a fair assessment. I think sometimes, um, you know, the, the the sector doesn't necessarily have, um, the, the association doesn't necessarily have the same kind of funding bucket that the government has to make. Um, big announcements around hundreds of millions of dollars being allocated to build infrastructure. But if we look at the waste and resource recovery landscape, the biggest investor, the biggest owner, the biggest employer is the private sector. Um, And they're not just employing local, they're also investing in people and in communities. And I think that's something that we need to be talking about uh, a lot more in coming years I suppose this section of the manifesto is really um, looking at the immediate needs of a sector that has to expand and grow to meet the local and regional demands of population growth and a changing economy uh, with the increased kind of conversations around uh, sovereign capability. So the idea of Australia being able to manage its own um, waste with incoming coag bans, but also starting to produce more locally. Indirectly, it means we have to manage more waste that the economy is producing. Um, So part of this um, priority is about meeting that immediate demand, but it's also about recognising that we are in a part of the world that is set for rapid growth and expansion. And it's also about positioning Australia and in particular Queensland as being a market that could attract um, overseas students who will take the knowledge and experience they're getting in um, a Queensland um, setting and taking that to other parts of the world. I think uh, it's it's also not well understood from the waste industry in the conversation we were having before we started this podcast, the fact that uh, people see a truck going down past the street and you see the truck driver, but they don't understand that that truck driver is supported with mechanics, with workshops, with when he goes to the transfer station, he's got 
um, uh, transfer station operators. We've got environmental uh, regulators or environmental compliance people that goes to the landfill. So there's a full pipeline of different roles and careers that actually happen within this, isn't there? It's not just about truck drivers. It's about that micro or macro economic community. Uh, definitely. I think um, looking at that that grant project is, you know, once again, an, a really good example. What um, we'll kind of identify with some of that work is that we're allocating a lot of money to build infrastructure for recycling, but the sector is so much bigger than that. We've got um, vehicles that are transporting materials. We've got manufacturers that manufacture bins. We um, increasingly um, are having smart systems coming into effect, uh, whether we're talking about tracking in real time the transport of wastes, um, liquid wastes, construction and demolition wastes. Um, it's a it's a massive, massive sector when you look at it that way. Yeah. And I guess uh, your final um, priority uh, and the strategic direction that you want is enhancing data, planning and research. Um, we always hear the argument, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it and vice versa. Uh, and research the R&D component, people sometimes shy from that. Um, planning is a huge issue to your industry, I understand. And the location, and, and what do you mean by that? Is that is that um, planning for where we need to go or is it planning in having the capability to be somewhere or to locate somewhere? When we think about the role of government in any sector, um, I think questions should be asked around what is government's role and is government effective in that role? And where I think we have great opportunity and potential is around government being in a position to provide credible, authoritative, regular data sets in a timely manner, which can then inform business investment decisions. But the other challenge that our sector has relates to planning. And it's not something that I think just impacts our sector. I think it's increasingly going to become a conversation. And this plays into that social license piece where you have um, increasing um, urban activity happening, um, density of the population moving in on areas that have traditionally been industrial um, sites or assets. A conversation needs to happen around how industry and community co-locate. I guess from a, a priority point of view, how do you as an industry body then ensure that elected representatives are getting the broader picture about the importance and the role of your organisation in this leading up to uh, a state election? We always see different industry bodies put out their manifestos or their mantras, their 10 action points, local government association, the farmers. We see even the unions putting out their wish list and going forward. What sort of engagement does the association have both uh, post, I guess, the um, this being uh, published and then with the election process that actually follows? And how do you actually then, uh, I guess, cement these ideas to those new elected representatives? Um, I think an advantage of our sector, uh, it might be a burden for some, is that we don't stop mm. irrespective of what's happening Pandemic is a really great example. Uh, we've seen a shift in where waste is generated. So, yes, people may not be going to their factories or offices as much, but then they're generating more waste in the home. These are ongoing conversations that can't just happen pre-election or just after an election. 
So what we're looking to do is commit to an ongoing um, program of work, which will be engaging with politicians, engaging with local councils, but also increasingly engaging with business leaders in other sectors, taking them on tours of the sector, uh, capitalising on the momentum that we have at the moment. Um, our sector has probably been in the headlines for positive and negative reasons more in the last five years than maybe the last 15 years accumulatively, um, and we need to capitalise on that momentum. And part of that uh, momentum, I saw you, uh, the organisation published an economic evaluation or scenario of it, it did some uh, uh, detailed analysis to see what your actually economic footprint is. Um, I notice uh, just looking at your, uh, that documentation, um, you know, directly and indirectly, we're talking, you know, 12,000 jobs, um, just the organisation itself, nearly 7,000 um, half a billion dollars in salaries and wages, uh, 830-odd million to the economy. They're quite substantial figures um, that you've managed to uh, pull together, Mark. Yeah, and I think what this economic report does is it talks to an audience, be it in government or to equity firms or those looking to invest in the sector, uh, that shows where the sector is at this point in time. Uh, but we also know that our sector is growing at a really uh, rapid rate and that our growth is directly linked to population growth. What I think this information does is it speaks to uh, key decision makers, especially in government, to show them the, the economic benefits of investing in our sector and creating an environment for growth. Mm -hmm. But what we do is, is far bigger and more important than just the numbers. We deliver vital services to every aspect of the economy. So by strengthening and improving how our sector operates, we indirectly touch on every other aspect of the economy. And there aren't many sectors that you can kind of wear that as a, as a bit of a badge. No, I guess uh, to, to bring it back to a sort of a localised issue, something that we can put tangibly into the, into the process. As part of your economic analyses, you did uh, a, a very a tight analysis around the Ipswich region. Now, we've we've all seen the publicity around um, uh, the issues in relation to industry trying to locate out there. I understand that they're trying to develop a, a new uh, waste-to-energy facility uh, that will provide green power out there. Um, but I think what's important, could we just run through those Ipswich numbers to put some context around this to a localised? Um, what of the businesses that are actually out there what is the contribution or the footprint of your industry in just to that local community? So this brings that back to that local, which then reinforces the various agendas that you've got in your priority statements there, Mark. Sure. So there's um, close to 800 jobs uh, generated in southeast Queensland by our sector. And I'd probably argue that that's a conservative element when you start taking into account um, the flow-on impacts of those 800 people in the local economy be it through running events, um, cafes, restaurants, catering, um, and everything else that's just tied up with, with running a business. Um, I think uh, increasingly there needs to be a uh, broader conversation around local benefits back to communities that uh, may be housing um, infrastructure or waste and resource recovery assets. And one of the things that we have outlined in our election manifesto is this idea of a community benefit fund to provide those communities with um, direct benefits, um, you know, funded by the landfill levy back into their local communities. So 
could we explore that a little bit further? The Community Benefit Fund at the moment, waste levies go straight into government coffers and government would argue that, oh, look, we put money back into environmental programs. A community Benefit Fund, what, what are you trying to achieve by that? Are you trying to sort of hypothecate a certain amount of money from uh, the levy fund back into, say, the community of Ipswich or the community of um, Mackay or Townsville? Or what, what are you proposing there? In order for uh, our sector to achieve a social licence with the community, people need to understand the benefits that we're providing back to people. You could argue that a benefit is the fact that we get our waste collected from our curbside. Um, But for communities that are housing these types of assets that are vital to the community, they have to keep running as long as people are around and generating waste. What we're exploring with this idea is that um, a key driver to building social acceptance of what we do is providing more benefits back into local communities. Those benefits could be um, this community benefit fund funding activities like improvements to local schools, sporting grounds, um, parkland. But the intent is that we give that decision-making over to the community and let them decide how this money should be spent. I'd kind of argue that councils um, such as those, such as Ipswich should actually be getting a greater share of the landfill levy because they're potentially dealing with what some people might perceive as more of the burden but that burden is offset by the fact that there are 800 jobs provided to regions um, in that area. Um, you know, we're paying local salaries, we're making investments in people. Um, it's it's incredibly um, Im- important that communities see some of those benefits. I think that's uh, a very positive sort of sign. It's a very useful um, uh, way of actually exploring what a waste levy is about. Waste levies are not just about taxes. Waste levies should be actually put into uh, making the the industry more sustainable uh, in the process. Yeah, so levies, just like regulation, um, they're interventions by government. Government intervenes in a sector for a number of reasons, and one of them is around equity. And I think the Community Benefit Fund is about bringing equity back into those areas that are housing more infrastructure. And I guess uh, as we wrap up on this one, um, if we have a look at it with, with the four elements, you've got somewhere to invest, you've got, a, you've got an environment that's safe, it's sustainable, you've got the smarts, you've got the employment, and then you've actually got the planning and the, the, the data and the fact that we've actually got looking to the future and the innovation. So it really sort of builds that circular vision for what the organisation's done. So I guess from, an indus- from a, a bit of a chat with this where to next with your um with your vision your wish list sure so i think it can be really problematic if we wait too long for government to kind of come on board with everything that's been outlined um, in our manifesto uh we will be um, engaging with um all relevant sides of politics around what our ask is but at the same time there's certain actions um in our manifesto that we're working on now. So we have programs in place that we'll be launching over the next few weeks and months around young people in the sector. We're doing work already around social license and uh, we've just recently carried out a regulator survey that provides input and guidance around the types of approaches and the posture of the regulator that business would like to see. So we're going to get started on this. We're started on it already. Um, We'll be ticking off on items as we go. And I'm optimistic 
that um, on the other side of the election, we'll have a government that sees the benefits, the potential of supporting and creating an environment to attract more business into Queensland. Mark, I've uh, found this quite enlightening, the fact that you have an industry body, what you're actually doing. I, I, I was quite quite amazed at some of the statistics that uh, I, uh, you talked about there with the numbers of employment opportunities. I guess from our point of view here, this podcast, and I thank the association for the opportunity to produce it uh, for you and with you, um, we will uh, follow up this podcast with uh, other podcasts for the waste recycling industry of Queensland. Um, so that it becomes sort of a bit of a regular feature where we can actually, talk, I can talk with you from an industry body to get a bit more of an insight to the industry. So uh, uh, to our listeners, thank you for joining us today. Mark, is there anything else you'd like to uh, cover while we're still having a bit of a chat, mate? Um, I think I just uh, want to really signal, um, watch this space. I think there's a lot of exciting things um, happening. I'm really energised by the amount of potential that we have and I just hope some of those key decision makers in government. And it's not always just the politicians. Um, There's a whole army of public servants that we need to engage with on a lot of these issues. Um, Can all see the potential of what we're trying to do here. Mark, thank you for joining me today, the Garbologist. And uh, on behalf of uh, uh, all our listeners, I hope you found this useful. And uh, I look forward to having a conversation with you down the track about to see how many of these priorities and optimistic ideas in the manifesto are actually achieved so thank you mark thanks rick